Well, greetings and salutations, fellow esteemed members of the membership of Movie Club. It is great to have you here. I am, of course, uh, one of your fellow club members. My name is John Campia. And sitting over here is your fellow club member, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. It's uh, good to have you here, Rob. John, you know what? I, I'm not, I, I feel like I should have put on some six shooters <laughs> in my holster. I, I didn't want to see you come in here with assless chaps. Well, uh, yeah, no, I... No offense. I, I don't own I didn't assless chaps. not see any assless chaps here or today. Or six shooters, but I'm sure somebody <laughs> will want me to get them after this show. Um, and we are here, guys. Just for those of you who may not know what this is, this is Movie Club. This is the club where every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we gather together to talk about one of our favorite movies of roughly the past 25 years. Mm-hmm. And this week is a good one. It's our first Quentin Tarantino movie that we're talking about here on Movie Club, and we are here to talk about Django Unchained, a movie that I absolutely adore, that for a long time leading up to it, when all I saw were promo posters and everything, I referred to it as Django, (laughs) until the movie so properly reminded us the D is silent many, many times. Um, This is either my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie or my mm. second favorite, right up there with Inglorious Bastards. I often go kind of back and forth on these two, but this movie is, I have no qualms or problems calling this movie an absolute masterpiece. I love this thing. It is both a love letter ode to the old Westerns, but it is a amazing modern tale as well with incredible performances, including an Academy Award win for Christoph Waltz, which was his second win. He, of course, won another Academy Award in another Quentin Tarantino movie. The one his previous film. In the aforementioned Inglorious Bastards. Uh, So uh, he was on a roll. Uh, Jamie Foxx, fantastic in this. And oh my God, the performances by Samuel Jackson. And Mr. Calvin Candy himself, Leonardo DiCaprio, are just phenomenal. This, Rob, you know, when we talk about our favorite Westerns, I feel bad that I, I realized when I was watching Django again, we don't often bring up Django, but really it should be in my conversation. I mean, Unforgiven is still my favorite Western of all time, but I mean, Django is probably a top five, I think, a top five best Western for me, but I often forget to bring it up. Maybe that's because it's a Quentin Tarantino movie and I don't really think of it like that. What do you think? You know, this movie is a revisionist Western and I think it's kind of a combination of things. It's a it's a heady concoction of Western uh, black exploitation films of the 70s, uh, 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 Italian uh, revisionist Westerns. I... I while it's set in the West, it's pre, I believe it takes place two years before the Civil War. You know? Yeah, a couple of years. A couple of years. It says right in the beginning, it gives you a little subtitle. It's just a few years before the few, Civil War. Yeah, yeah, a few years before the Civil War. I mean, it's kind of an amalgamation of things. I don't necessarily think, I've never really thought of this as a straight up Western because there's a lot, there's a lot of things going on that I wouldn't necessarily associate with the Western genre. But then on the other hand, there's a lot of stuff I would. I mean, this is. This is a revenge thriller. Like, you could have made this movie almost set in any time. It could have been in ancient Rome. It could have been in the present day. And you could have kind of told the similar story. But there is something quintessentially Western about it, though, John. So I guess I guess we could call it a Western, shouldn't we? 
I mean, I, I think we can. I, I think we definitely can. It's, I mean, I think it's also fair to say it might be a slash movie. It's a Western yeah. slash revenge flick. It's a Western slash whatever. But, I mean, it's incredible. Now, some of our fellow movie club members might recognize that Ray's not here today. And for a really good reason. You know, Ray and I talked about this movie, and Ray was just like, look, I'm not saying this isn't a good movie, but this is a heavy movie. With, with stuff that I'm really uncomfortable with in it. And there's some very graphic, hard things to get through. And, you know, I could totally relate with what Ray was saying because in as much as I think Schindler's List is one of the great all-time films, I can't watch it again. Like, I, I, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why we won't ever have Schindler's List on Movie Club. It's just that as brilliant and awesome and I, I'm, I'm in awe of that movie, I don't think I could watch it again. It's, it's very, very hard. And so Ray... You know, I was talking, she's like, I just don't think I can do that. I'm like, you know what? I totally get it because I got my Schindler's List and that's why Ray's not here. But Rob, that's one of the things about this movie is that in the midst of it being this quotable, by the way, this movie is so quotable. So quotable. Uh, this quotable, at times very fun, at times very funny, Quentin Tarantino also manages in this movie to balance out reminding us of the extreme horrors that we are, A, as human beings capable of, and B, what we often did very regularly. And it is those horrors that kind of juxtaposes against, you know, the humor. Like, who can forget the Don Johnson, Jonah Hill scene when all these racist landowners are trying to figure out, okay, do we ride with the bags or without the bags? No, okay. Now, I think it's fair to say we all thought the bags were a good idea, but maybe, and not pointing any fingers, it wasn't executed real well. I mean, like, that's hilarious. But then the movie reminds you we are talking about individuals that would have people ripped apart by dogs. And and there's a genius in finding that balance in there and, and that heaviness. And I think that's that balance that Quentin Tarantino was able to find, that way of juxtaposing one against the other, of putting a smile on fa- on our faces and having this, these moments of levity counterbalance against these moments of absolute horror um, is something that I think makes this movie really stand the test of time. And honestly, watching it again, it felt just like it, I, I was watching it 10 years ago. I think that this is the 10th anniversary this year. It is. This, no, I think You're it right. It is the 10th anniversary this year. I still can't believe it's been 10 years since this movie came out. But what do you think about, before we start walking through the film, what do you think it is about Django that kind of gives it that aura of specialness, that the fact that it still endures to this day and still comes across as like so unbelievably good. Well, I think, you know, Tarantino, his a lot of his films, or maybe most of them, are genre pastiches. So he has he has many different things happening at the same time. First of all, I think one of the great secrets of Tarantino, and it's been said a lot, but I'll say it again, is his casting. The people that he casts in these movies and the performances he's able to pull out of his cast are usually amazing. And that comes from, he's such a wordsmith. And the lines of dialogue he gives actors the opportunity to say, it has to be called nothing other than delicious. Because hearing his dialogue spoken, there is, I'm even when you hear the most racist stuff ever coming out of people's mouths, it's well-crafted. And it's just the dialogue is, and hearing, hearing, you've never seen Leonardo DiCaprio speak this way. I mean, the language that's put in his mouth. And then, you know, from the very beginning, Jamie Foxx, 
is I think perfect in this role. There was there was a talk once, John, that uh, this was going to be a Will Smith part, and he didn't he didn't take the part. Well, and, I, I mean, yeah, Tarantino tried to convince him. Yeah, like he tried to convince Will Smith to take the part, but he just thought the role of Doctor King Schmidt was too big. And it didn't put enough focus on Django, and so he opted to step out of it, which is, I mean, I think he would have been great in it. He's an amazing actor, but honestly, I think it probably worked out for the best with Jamie Foxx playing this role. You know, I have to say that Jamie Foxx is one of my favorite actors. And whether he's in Collateral, you know, playing opposite Tom Cruise, or whether he stars, you know, as Ray, or whether he's playing the new Django, the Django in this movie... He's he's just a powerhouse of an actor. He's an incredible comic. He's an incredible singer. He's just an incredible performer. And he commands the screen from the very beginning. I mean, you know, you see him as a as a slave being beaten. I mean, he's shackled up. And from the moment he's got a power to him that is undeniable. And, you know, this is not for him a showy role. You know, he really he's really playing a character here that for the most part is is very quiet and he's on a quest like a fairy tale to find his wife. What's well, Broomhilda and Siegfried? Uh, it's, it's the tale it's, of Broomhilda and Siegfried. Absolutely. And it's it's even that, even in the midst of all this horror, it's a romance too. It's yeah. a romance, it's a western, it's a revenge thriller, it's a character study, it's a buddy cop movie. All at once. <clears throat> And the one of the most fun parts, things about this movie is as it evolves into a buddy cop movie, right? Yep. Because it doesn't start that way. It starts with with Dr. King Schultz rescuing uh, Django for his own purposes. He wants to be able to identify these guys and take them along. But as they go through this journey, they start to they, he starts to like him. They start to he realize, oh my God, this kid's a natural. Look at the shot he takes when he takes out Don Johnson. And it's from that point that you see the buddy cop part of the film yeah. start to unwind and unfold. And part of the thing that is so great about this is this movie doesn't work if that chemistry between Jamie Foxx and Christoph Waltz isn't there. If no. that chemistry isn't as magnetic and as electric as it is, I don't think the movie works nearly as well. I mean, I mean that's the firepower of it. And by the way, talking about Christoph Waltz, and you were mentioning the dialogue earlier. Christoph Waltz's dialogue Dude. in this is so fantastic. And it's a great example of, it's the perfect harmony of when the writer and the director and then the actor take all of it, add what add the parts of life to the dialogue and then bring it to fruition on screen. And this is the perfect example of that because this great dialogue coming out of almost anybody else's mouth other than Christoph Waltz may not have come across nearly as profound. Christoph Waltz with maybe some other dialogue maybe doesn't come across as profound, but this is like the perfect marriage of all that coming to this sweet, delicious honeycomb of, of this goodness that just comes off the screen at every time he talks. It's just awesome. And I, you know, I find it crazy that the previous movie Tarantino cast him as the Jew hunter. Yes. You know, as the ultimate, like, horrific bad guy. And in this movie, he's a German that that is not a racist. You know, he's he's somebody that really doesn't believe in, in comments on the plight of, of slavery and how it's distasteful to him. And I thought that juxtaposition was really clever of Tarantino to play off of, where he, he took this this ultimate horrific bad guy 
and then brought him further back into the American into America's past as a German immigrant making his way across America, who's benevolent and 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 believes that America's racist policies are horrible and and gets behind it by by basically liberating Django and giving him not just his his freedom or on his way to freedom, but gives him a purpose in life and decides to become throw in on his quest, you know, and it's I, I love that. I love that that's the character of, of Dr. King Schultz. But one of the other cool things about this as well is that they could have taken the approach. What Tarantino could have done is taken the approach. OK, Django meets Schultz. Django gets free. Django becomes this supreme ace killer. Right. And they go on the quest to get his wife. But instead, it feels like as you're watching it, there's a little bit of like Homer's Odyssey kind of feel. There's this Greek mythology in where the hero's journey takes him along several other yes. stops along the way. You know what I'm saying? And that is really where Don Johnson comes in. Well, well, first of all, there was the stop in the little town where they kill the sheriff, which is great. I uh, get the sheriff, please. Not the marshal, the sheriff. <laughs> Bang. Now you may get the marshal, right? So there's that. And then there's the Don Johnson character, which, by the way, let's stop and talk for a second. We're talking about how great Leo is and, and, and Samuel Jackson. and yeah, Okay, yeah. When Don Johnson, I still remember the first time I watched this movie. And Don Johnson comes walking out on that uh, that deck yeah. overlooking everything. I'm like, oh, my God. It's, oh, what, what's his name in Miami Vice again? It's Sonny Crockett. It's, it's Crockett. So I almost called him Tubbs. It's, oh, my God, it's Crockett. It's Crockett. He's up there. And he's doing his thing and blah, blah. And then when he tells him the price, when he tells him what he's willing to pay, the complete change in demeanor and all that kind of stuff. I mean, and then all the way to the bag scene and all I'm telling you. And then Jonah Hill with such a small role in this thing. But again, well, now I'm confused. Are we wearing the bags? Or are we not? wearing? The, I mean, like each of these players, but again, like, like a Greek mythology, the hero journeys begin. And then they have these several little water monsters along the way that they have to face before they get to the Titans. And, it's just beautiful because then Tarantino uses each one of those stages of the story that's leading us to the final boss at the boss level right. to develop the characters and develop their relationship and have more of the story unfold. And it's just in that sense, I might consider Django to be the best storytelling, if not his best movie. This might be the best example of Quentin Tarantino as a storyteller. Mm. To me, because it really got that long along the way. What you know, did you I, I never that? thought about that, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this truly is it's an odyssey for Django. Yeah. And and like you said, the side the side journeys. And also he uses the side journeys to illuminate the horror of this time. Yes. You know, and 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 what 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 a black man and a black uh, what black what black Americans faced through this particularly horrific part of of history because you needed to do that you had to have the horror to offset the fun so to speak no, i mean you're you're dead right because I, i'm sure the temptation would have been there and tarantino feels the film is on a roll about wow this is a good laugh and this is a good laugh the temptation would be to keep that rolling but it's like it's like he stops every once in a while and says okay while we're having fun here want to remind you of what the horrors the background is the real true horror the background is and he never lets that out of our sight as no. we go through the movie no and i think that would have been a danger uh a danger in the film and you know 
Spike Lee criticized this movie for its its use of the N-word. And Tarantino has been crit- criticized about this before. But I think in this case, you know, it all, all of everything that he was doing, he was always juxtaposing horror and entertainment, you know, the whole time, even by the, even the, the way he uses dialogue. And it, 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 it is horrific, and it is hard to hear. You know, I found myself, John, I hadn't watched this movie in a while, and I re-watched it again, and I, maybe it's because of where we are as a culture and after the riots of a couple of years ago and George Floyd and all that. It hurts. It hurts to to hear some of the language in this movie, but there's power in that. You know, when I was watching this, I was like, man, you know what? The, 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 I was very aware of the horror of the situation throughout, and I never... Before I thought, yeah, it's a cool Tarantino movie and everyone's delivering a, a big performance. But maybe it's because of where we're at now. It hit me harder than it did because I've watched this movie five or six times probably. But it, it hit me harder than it ever it had ever hit me before watching it again now. Well, then we finally we move beyond the stages of Big Daddy's house. By the way, how great was it that Don Johnson's character was called Big Daddy? Well, and how great is it Tarantino cast him? You yeah. know, one of the things like like there are actors like when he cast John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, you know, there are actors that people forget about. I grew up with Don Johnson like in the 70s. He was in A Boy and His Dog. I was a big fan of his. He was in a pretty good Frankenheimer movie called Dead Bang. But he didn't, doesn't get used that much. And he, it was great to see him in this movie because Tarantino clearly loves Don Johnson. Well, and he, he was, was great. And he knew he was a great fit for this. Oh, like, yeah. This was a perfect role for him. And he played it so great and so well. And like, and then in the midst of using him to be the entertainment, they also Tarantino used the opportunity to show just how smart Dr. Schultz was, how cool Django was in the midst of all of that, and their developing chemistry and and their bond and all that kind of stuff. So at that point, then we start to move on. And we start to get on the main quest. Like we've moved beyond the sheriff. We've moved beyond the thing. And by the way, I'm gonna let you guys know. Uh, we're only gonna talk here for another 10, 15 minutes or so. Then we're gonna throw it open to you. If you guys have a thought, observation, comment, uh, or anything about Django and Chain, go ahead and throw it in the uh, YouTube super chat there, and we'll get to those in just a minute. I'm only gonna leave it open for another minute or two. So if you have something to throw in there, throw uh, it in there. Also, too. I gotta point out how cool was it that that Django meets the original Django Franco Nero, like in right, the bar, yeah. you know? And, and again, because there's a whole series of Django movies that were made in, I guess the sixties and f- to have Franco Nero come, it was just a great, only Tarantino would do bother. To well, that it's great a pro- because well, Tarantino is such a lover of the history of cinema. Yeah. Right. So that is completely a Tarantino thing to do. I loved it. And, and that you have that and you have, you have, you have our Django, the yeah. D is silent, you know, because I'm sure the joke would be everybody throughout history has always said Django, like Django Reinhardt. I did it? before the movie came out. And I'm like, Django, um, by the way, just that whole parlor scene oh, in that where he was the bartender and stuff like that. That whole thing was absolutely like, again, the horrifying because they come in a little bit later. They meet Calvin Candy and there's already I mean, early UFC, I guess there's already a fight going on. And when at first you think it's just a sporting fight, then you realize, oh, wait, they, one of them's going to have to die. And the one guy's forced to kill the other person. And you realize this is horrific. And then he hands him the hammer and he's like, finish it off. And it's like, oh, that's what we're dealing with here. Yeah. That's, that's Monsieur Candy that we're dealing with. 
And it gets into this plot. Now, I will say this. One of my criticisms about the film was with all the money that they had been gathering and accumulating through their bounty hunting, I I remember thinking a part of me thought, you know, if they had just gone up to the house and said, and just had Dr. Schultz go up to the house and say, there's a friend of mine who used to own her and he really would like her back and he's willing to pay well, what did Calvin say? He said she was worth three hundred dollars. Right. If he had just gone up to the door and said he is willing to pay seven thousand dollars for that girl, that probably would have been the end of it. That probably would have been the end of the movie. He probably would have given it to her, and that's the end. However, that's not the path that they took. But they end up back there, and then the whole mystery unsolves, and that's when we run into Stephen. St- Oh, and, and you know, obviously Sam Jackson has, uh, again, playing in, in Pulp Fiction. But this, this role, man, and he's, 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 he's even worse. He's even worse than Candy because oh, yeah. he's betrayed his own people. But, I mean, he's extra vicious. Like, he's more vicious. He's, and, and you get the sense, too, that whatever viciousness, and there is viciousness but whatever viciousness is in calvin as we start to get further into the evening and he pulls you start to realize you know what whatever viciousness is in calvin steven probably put it there <laughs> like, like that's probably where it came from it probably came from him and right from the beginning when we first meet steven when dr schultz and Django come riding up on their horses that iconic frame of steven samuel jackson seeing Django on the horse and the vitriol. And in his badass outfit. Oh, in that outfit. And with this anger and spite and bitterness. And, you know, the second time I was watching it, I remember thinking to myself, this might be part of him thinking it's not his place to be on the horse. But I can't help but wonder if a bit of it for Steven, the way Samuel Jackson played it, was a bit of jealousy. And that anger and that bitterness came from jealousy that... How come you get to have that and I don't? So oh, I'm going to put you in your place. I think you know I, mean? I think it's all part of his. In his he performance. played that so subtly in you, it that was. But you're absolutely right, though, because he's, uh, and that's why he's he's a fascinating character. And you know what? Tarantino's characters are as rich as they are because none of them are ever one way or another. They're all very complex. They're all they all have many colors in them, uh, in terms of, and I mean that. In terms of they're they're different kinds of people. They're right, never, the tapestry. They're, yeah, there's never just one. There's never just one aspect. And even though these people are hateful, you still enjoy spending time with them. Oh, God, because like one of the best scenes in the movie is when Stephen asks Calvin to meet him in the library, and it's not a long scene. It's a relatively short scene, but Calvin and Stephen are sitting down in the library where. Stephen, who figured everything out, like figured the whole thing out. Yeah, she know him. It's not just that. I think they're married. I think that's his wife. I think this whole thing is they've been playing. Like he just deduced the whole thing. And as they're sitting there having this conversation in the library and you see DiCaprio getting angry and anger. And then, of course, that leads to that like iconic scene in the movie where he comes back out. He brings out the skull of I forget the name. Was it Ben? Benny? Yeah. Ted? I mean, it was a simple name. You guys, the other members of the movie club here, if you guys remember what the name of the skull was, um, 
if you remember, if guys remember the name of the skull, who who the owner of the skull was, that would be great. But he brings that out, and he says it was Ben. So it was yeah. old Ben. Old Thank ben. you, Corey, was the first one to put that in there. Old Ben, and he takes the saw and he saws. I mean, hey, he's like. It reminds you of all the pseudoscience that people try to justify racism with for so oh, long, absolutely. right? And he's like, oh, well, this, this, and this, and the whole thing. And then, of course, that's where the legendary thing happened. We're in the, the acting so in so much rage. Leonardo Caprio cut his hand. And I didn't realize until after, I didn't find out until afterwards that that was completely accidental. And he just decided to roll with it. And now it's impossible to watch that scene and not imagine of him having this bloody hand uh, doing the scene, you know what I mean? Which raises a question, because I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you do. Because then when he brings in Broomhilda, and it's Kerry Washington. By the way, Kerry Washington is great in this, too. Great and beautiful. They, he sits her down, and he puts his hand on her face, smearing his blood on her. At that point, I'm wondering, okay, wait, wait, wait. Is that still real blood at that okay. point? Or had they cut at some point come back to take up the shot again, put fake blood on his hand, and then have him do that to her. I mean, I don't know if that was all one shot, but what I'd, I'd love to ask DiCaprio that sometime. I simply don't know. But that entire scene, the tension in it, oh. the, the way that Leo DiCaprio takes that moment when all of the energy in the scene is completely on him, and he had to play that in a believable way that he is Monsieur Candy, but he's also just this rage child, <laughs> right? This rage child all at the same time, and and even the way that you had Jamie Foxx playing fear for Broomhilda, or Hildy, and just the fear for his own life that then Christoph yeah. Waltz had to portray as well. Like, this was the first time in the movie that we saw Christoph Waltz in a fix, right? And that was difficult. Anyway, what, what stands out to you in that? Whole, well, no, whole I mean, scene? I think you're absolutely right about that. And and again, it's the way the scene is constructed in terms of you. We as an audience are feeling different things as the scene moves on. And you at first you're wondering what's going on. Then there's real jeopardy here. Like it gets scary. Everyone's lives are, are literally at stake. Who knows what's going to happen at any moment? And and it doesn't it doesn't go the way you would have thought. You know, the the what the fate of these characters is not what you might have initially like I, I, I believed that that they would have ridden off together, the three of them, like the end of Last Crusade. You know, Brumilda, Django and King Schultz would have would have would have walked out of there. But of course they don't. You know, we, we, we don't, we don't, not all of our stalwart bunch of characters makes it to the end of this movie, John. Well, and that reminds me because I remember there being some criticisms about the sudden turn where Schultz is willing to throw everything away that they just accomplished. They got there, they were getting out with their lives, and they got Hildy. And he was willing to just throw it all away just because he wasn't willing to shake his hand, right? And he's willing to throw it all. And, and I heard that criticism. But when you watch the movie and you watch the moments leading up to that sequence, as Schultz is haunted by the visions of D'Artagnan and the dogs ripping D'Artagnan yep. apart, the notion of one human being doing that to another human being. It was, and I use the word in all capital letters, traumatic. It was trauma. And I think 
Yeah, and, and the rest of us watching this, we have the pleasure of never having been in that situation. But he had to see a man get ripped apart for nothing. And he had to sit there and pretend he was cool with it. Yep. And watch it all happen. And not tilt, tip his hand that he was agog and aghast by it. So I thought leading into that sequence at the end, with him sitting there, having these traumatic flashbacks, I think that tells us the mindset Schultz was in when he was he was broken. I really, I honestly feel like this guy who's been calm, cool, collected, can kill a man in a moment's notice, but because they're murderers and they're wanted, he's within the law, all that kind of stuff. But at that point, he became broken. And so hanging on by a thread... The last little bit of weight on it that snapped it was, oh, no, you got to shake my hand. And there was literally in him, I would rather die. Yeah. I would rather die than shake your hand. Now, that didn't leave Django and Hildy in a very good position, <laughs> granted. But, I mean, it, it really was a, a very, very tough moment. And I thought beautifully beautifully executed. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a very astute reading of the scene the last thing in the world he wanted to do was shake that dude's hand yep There's rather just, die rather die because uh, he still was a moral man you know he's still yes. for all the killing he wasn't some he wasn't a, a bloodthirsty murderer in his own way everybody everybody who had it coming was going to get what was coming to them and i think that that's where that all came from all right let's keep going here for uh, just another couple minutes mm. before we move over and start hearing from everybody else about this then we move in into like what is kind of like the second half of act three because there is a little bit of a lord of the ringsness to this movie <laughs> you mean there's more than one ending it John? feels like there's more than one ending because it really felt like this could have ended with schultz killing candy Django, then you know fighting his way out getting hildy and riding off but instead they went into a different direction where we get our quentin tarantino cameo Oof. As an Aussie, <laughs> I can't do an, the, the I can't do the accent, and just the, I I almost felt bad for those guys who were taking them off to whatever the mining company is to be slaves of the mining company. Right. I almost feel bad for those guys because Django convinces them, <laughs> "Hey, I'm actually a free man. I rode in there free. I'm no slave," and that was part of the reason why they went. Oh, okay. Well, we got to set you free then. Like, on top of this plan, like, there are these guys over there, the part of the gang, and obviously that was all part of a lie. But part of why they let him go was partly based on the truth. And it's like, all right, give him your gun. Great, I'll give him a gun. And he immediately guns them down. And then the Quentin Tarantino death scene is hilarious. <laughs> that he's just taken out the dynamite and stuff like that. Uh, that was great. And then, of course, he goes back. He's got this big plan, and there was something so satisfying about that last explosion scene. Oh, dude. Because you'd think going into the movie, like heading into the third act, you think, okay, this is ultimately going to come down to Django and Calvin. And it doesn't. Nope. It ultimately Schultz takes out Calvin and then it comes down to Django and Steven. And, and, and as it should. Yeah. You and know. That, that whole, I'll tell you what, I could just listen to Samuel L. Jackson. Like after Django <laughs> already shot him twice in the knees. Shane, that didn't shut Samuel Jackson up. Nope. That didn't shut Steve up. He just kept going and laughing at Django. I could have, like, this, what Samuel Jackson is able to do when a camera is on him is psychotically entertaining. Like, it's even with this evil, evil, evil character, having done the things that he had done, 
I could have just listened to him talk. Like I almost wish Django waited a half hour before blowing the house up just to hear him talk more because it was so good. But anyway, Rob, what stood out to you as we get into that second ending you know, between the Australian pris- uh, you know, prison guys to the going back to the house, getting healed again? Like uh, what stands out to well, you? Well, tonally, tonally it becomes more, I, I, I don't want to say fun, but it does. Like when, when Django kills those dudes and, and then it's like, okay, now we're back. Because you could say that the movie gets pretty damn heavy again, you know, when you're you're watching that that what happens to Dr. Schultz and what happens to Calvin Candy. It's it's, it's hardcore. But now you get a little bit more of that revenge flavor back, like Django blowing away some dudes that had it coming, you know, and it's it, yep. so so in case you didn't in case you needed to be reminded, we're supposed to be having a kick ass time bringing the vengeance of god down from the heavens i mean django it's it's he's got to kill some more people you know and then go back and take the final vengeance against the the traitor that is steven to his own people and it's it gets it, it just you know it's, it's like yeah man it, it it gets you into that hole and it's great i mean you we the audience we're thirsting for blood too you know we we didn't want to lose Dr. Schultz, but we've lost him. And now it's time to go finish the job. And we're going to, we, the audience, we're going to relish this. And speaking of finishing the job, we haven't mentioned Walton Goggins yet. <laughs> and like, because that scene, like one of the most disturbed, like so many disturbing things, obviously the, the, with D'Artagnan was the most, but when Walton Goggins is standing there and he's got Django hung upside down and he's grabbing his junk. And he's getting ready to slice his junk off. Yeah. Oh my god! Like I like everybody in the theater who was male was like, ha ha yeah, yeah. ha ha. Like it was that was something nasty. And of course, it was very I think poetic that he became the third last guy that Django killed. Yeah, because the second last person he killed, and honestly, this surprised me when he killed Calvin's sister. When he shot Calvin, I, I got to admit, that surprised me. I thought he was going to let her go. I don't know why I thought he was going to let her go, but I thought he was gonna, So he kills Walton Goggins first, then kills his sister, and of course he saves Stephen for last. Which and though, was, yeah, because there's no, there, these people cannot repent. You know, these people are all, even the sister, truly bad people. Right. That all deserve to die. And if, if, if it, it, they, they represent the entire all of slavery in one family basically and so Django is going to take his revenge his holy revenge on all of these people and they deserve it by the way want to mention too that some years later there was a comic book done of Django meets Zorro yep and there was word, I remember talking about this on Movie Talk back in the day, there was word that they were going to try to make that into a movie. With Antonio Banderas. Yeah. There was there was movement going, for those of you who didn't hear about this, there was movement going for a little while. It ultimately didn't go anywhere. But of Django now out on his, coming across, I can't remember Zorro's real name, uh, what the, what the land, wealthy landowner's real name is, but I can't right. remember that, but... Meeting Zorro and then they they fight side by side or something. How like that. how much would you have loved to have seen that? Movie? I I listen. I'm not gonna. It's a shared universe, John. It's a shared cinematic universe. I totally would have been down for that. I would, uh, man. I would love to have seen. They could still do it. <laughs> they could get a little, late, a little older. You get know, Zorro's a little older, and I mean, this movie Django is now ten years old, so I don't know. It might be getting a little bit late for it, but there was a time I would have been totally down for this. 
All right, guys, listen, that's that's we've been droning on for almost 45 minutes about this movie. Let's now go over and see what you guys have to say about this movie, shall we? We're going to get things started here with Cody Hunt, who wrote in my favorite film of the last decade, Love Django. And I think it's on a lot of people's lists. And, and for me, again, it's it is either my favorite or second favorite Tarantino movie. I still go back and forth on that a lot, Cody. Uh, Cody also writes, it's one of the most quotable films of all time. Oh, it yes. absolutely is. I mean, everything from... You had my curiosity. Now you have my, my attention. attention. <laughs> but also, some of the most quotable stuff, and this is stuff that we can't say. But I mean, but thank you, Samuel Jackson, because man, he's so good. Well, even just the way, the way people say things, like Dica- DiCaprio's whole, what would you call it? His whole, well, his whole character, just the way he speaks. I love listening to him do it. He must have had, I know he even, even he had a hard time with some of the language, that they, the words he had to say. Well, they had to. Yeah, I mean, right? Sam Jackson's talked about that in the past, but man, do I love DiCaprio's performance in this movie. I'm trying to find, because um, I can't remember if Samuel Jackson got nominated for the Academy, because I know... Um, yeah, I don't remember. Let's see. So, uh, also, Christoph Waltz won for Best Supporting Actor. It won for Best Screenplay for Quentin Tarantino. It was nominated for Best Picture, nominated for Cinematography, nominated for Editing. No, for some reason I had in my head that maybe Samuel Jackson and Leo DiCaprio got nominations as well, but they did not. It was only uh, Christoph Waltz. But I'm telling you, and, and look, Christoph deserved it. He did. But you could have nominated Samuel Jackson for that as well. Oh yeah, it's it. That was a career. That's and kind I, of a I think DiCaprio, movie. you know, he was he was having a great time too. You'd never seen him. You, he's always the good guy. You know, yep. to see him as a bad man was so much fun. Yeah, it was really fun. All right, Cody Hunt also writes. Uh, one line I love is since Avita Zine actually means till I see till I see you again, and since I wish to never see you again, to you, sir, I say goodbye. <laughs> and of course, his decision to be so snarky to Calvin is what Calvin want to rub it in, just gloat a little bit more. I'm going to make you shake my hand. And but yeah, that line, Cody, really does stand out. Cody also writes, uh, can we talk about how good Walton Goggins was? Again, he, w- he was great. Small role, but, but memorable, but very memorable and pivotal and, and just a, a bastard. Yeah, just such an asshole. I mean, and, and it's great because these guys played it so well that when they do meet their demise, it feels it's satisfying. So, good. <laughs> so <laughs> satisfying. All right. Uh, Sam Fisher writes, Leonardo cutting his hand. And it actually bleeding makes that scene. I think it's too hammy otherwise. And I think he actually smeared blood on Carrie. Yeah, again, I, I, I'd I, be dying. To, I'd love to know the answer to that. Did he actually smear blood or was that another take where they put blood back? <clears throat> yeah, on his hand? I can't imagine that he would do it for he would do it for real. That That's that's a pretty disrespectful thing. That's a that's a little bit of a violation. Yeah, because also it's a health thing. It's a health issue. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't I don't I don't think he would have done that. I mean, again, I'd be really curious to find out. I'd be really curious. I mean, to maybe find he did, out. but he would have asked. You'd think it would have. He would have had a fast, or maybe Carrie suggested it. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I just I'd, don't know. Yeah, but uh, the, yeah, but that is something I'd die to know someday. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Daryl Best Wadley who writes. I understand why it had to happen, but I feel Schultz was selfish to kill Candy. Absolutely, he was. Uh, they were almost out the door. He did it because of ego. I see. I, that's the thing, Daryl. I don't think it was because of ego. I think it was because of trauma. I think literally he just he's, he's broke. getting. He's getting also. He's getting kind of getting revenge. I mean, Schultz. Schultz does not. 
he doesn't like these evil men. Yeah. You know, he's come to America and maybe he's come to America to get his yayas out and do it, do what he does. But he knows that Candy, if Candy is allowed to live or to go on another day, he's going to continue to do this to other people. And I think Schultz wants him gone for that reason. Now, if that were the only reason, though, yeah. what Daryl is suggesting is true. It was incredibly selfish because he's putting Broomhilda and Django's lives not just at risk, like he's basically forfeiting their lives. And that's not his choice to make. No, it's true. That's why the way when they set it up and they make sure they show us or they, they show us the audience him having those traumatic flashbacks and you see it was just breaking him down. I honestly just think he finally broke. I think he snapped yeah. from the trauma. I really do. All right. And a good observation, Daryl. Daryl also writes, who was the main villain, Candy or Steven? <sighs> I think the main villain was the South. Slavery itself. And, and But when I say the South, maybe that's an, it's really the, the systematic nature of the way that culture was yeah. and the way that that was the villain. Like the various villainous people we met along the way, whether it's, you know, uh, Don Johnson or whether it's Leonardo DiCaprio or whether it's him. But I think really ultimately the villain was the culture of it. I completely agree with you. Uh, a culture that unfortunately there are some in our society today called the good old days. But and it's important that movies like this exist to remind us of the horrors of that, and 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 that's kind of how I, I kind of see it, Daryl. Anyway, uh, next up, Cody Hunt writes, uh, "This is the role Leo should have gotten an Oscar for." But again, it's tough because he was clearly—I mean, he doesn't show up till about halfway through the film. Right. He was clearly a supporting actor. Did he deserve Best Supporting Actor over Christoph Waltz? I don't think so. I, I mean, then there's only one to give out. There's only one Oscar to give out for that category. And I think you could have made a strong argument for him, obviously for Samuel L. Jackson, but Christoph Waltz was just so powerful in it. I, I mean, all three of them, look, the whole cast is just ridiculously good. I, I mean, it really could have gone to any of them. Yeah. All right, next up, City of Swift writes, uh, I'll be honest, Tarantino movies just don't get my attention. And listen, Tarantino's not for everybody. I mean, that's when you when you are as stylized as he has, it's not mm -hmm. he's not going to be for everybody. That's fine. Uh, I don't know why, but I decided to check it out because of Kerry Washington. Cool movie, fun gunplay, and Kerry was lovely as always. I mean, yes. And especially when she come by the way, her German was very convincing. I thought so too. I thought that whole scene when she goes into King's room. And they start having that conversation. He goes, I'm going to speak to you in German because Candy's people might be listening. And then that whole way, they says he's behind the door and he opens it. And just the way she started to swoon and then she didn't just drop the glass. The stereotypical thing would have been to drop the glass, but she didn't. She just let it, she slowly started to lose control of the glass. It starts to spill out and then she faints. And I'm like, that was so well done. Yeah. It was so well done. And yeah, she was great. I'm glad you checked it out, Sidious. And you know what's really interesting? When you see her because they cast her she she has she's beautiful but there's also a sweetness to her so you understand why Django wants her back so badly like yes. it, we all look at her and think my god no there's a woman there's a woman that I'm willing to kill for or I'm willing to risk everything to get back to and I I loved her casting all right uh next up we've got uh chef Rigo hello chef 
who writes in, I can watch a whole spinoff film with Leo and Sam. I will tell you this, and I mean it with my whole heart. I could watch a spinoff film with any combinations of two characters from this movie. I could have watched a spinoff film of Don Johnson and Jonah Hill. I could have seen a spinoff film of just two hours of Christoph Waltz and Leonardo DiCaprio bantering back and forth at each other. I could have watched and I could have watched an entire HBO series, like an episodic HBO series of Dr. King and uh, and Django. Each week, a different bounty they had to go and hunt. As long as Tarantino wrote and directed. Yeah, yeah. Or I could have watched, exactly as you said, I could have watched an entire movie that's just Candy and Steven in all their vileness. It's just because of the way they were written. I absolutely could have watched any of that. Right there with you. All right, next up. Are we going Uh, to Shogun tomorrow? What's that? Are we going to Shogun tomorrow? Uh, Not. (laughs) We're trying to go later this week. All right, Ryan Grieger writes, is that uh, Django slash Zorro movie still happening or not? That's why I was just mentioning that. Uh, apparently, no, it stalled. It never went. I don't ever think it any it ever seriously got any traction. I think it was just some people mentioned they were interested in it, and maybe some inquiries were made. But I honestly don't think it ever actually got any traction. Too bad. All right, Santez Hernandez writes, this movie is just fun, even though the subject matter is dicey. I also would like to say Leo steals the show when he enters the movie. This is a five out of five film, and I don't give that score often. Again, it is difficult to find a lot of faults with this movie. Like, either from a technical standpoint, a narrative standpoint, a pacing standpoint. Again, you could have ended this movie after Schultz shot Candy, and Django could have like wiped out everybody else, gotten out, and that could have been the end. So it could have been a little bit shorter, but there was some goodness that came after it as yeah, well. Yeah, plus, I mean, it's not like it's boring. No, no. <laughs> no, it's... No, it just it just moves. So you're absolutely right, Santez. This is just... That's why, for me personally, I think this is one of the top two, if not the best Quentin Tarantino movie. I mean, for, for those reasons, those Well, like reasons. you pointed out, I, the story that's being told, yeah. Tarantino movies, a lot of them are quote-unquote like more hangout movies, but I think like this and maybe Kill Bill 1 and 2 together are two of his best quote-unquote stories. I agree. All right, next up, we got Ethan Holgate who writes, only Quentin Tarantino can make rap music in a Western so freaking awesome. <laughs> Badass bloody shootout, by the way. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Dude, that whole time when the lawyer gets shot right and he just keeps getting shot <laughs> he's like, yeah and i i don't know why it's t- i don't know what that says about me as a person that i was laughing hysterically at the pain and suffering of another person but they set it up pretty funny and oh my gosh i don't know how much money this movie cost a hundred million dollars well 90 million of that was on blood squibs because they use uh, every bullet shot, every everything, a lot of blood splatter all over the place. But yeah, that last gunfight, Ethan, was absolutely legendary. It was great. All right. Mark Amorosi writes, this is my second favorite uh, Tarantino film behind Pulp Fiction. It should have won one best picture, in my opinion. I can't remember what it was nominated against, to Me be neither. honest. It was the 2013 Academy Awards. So let me see if I can find... Who won? Oh, no. Okay. No, I disagree that it should have won. Argo won that year. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and yeah, listen, and I'm fairly, listen to this, though. The other nominees that year, good list. Zero Dark Thirty, Silver Linings Playbook, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, Life of Pi, Les Mis, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Amor, and Argo and Django Unchained. That's a, 
incredible. That, that's a really good line. I mean, I think, you know, the the it's funny to use the word pulp, but I think Django is more pulp entertainment. You know, it's more it's more pop entertainment as opposed to Argo being an actual true story based on a real event. I think that it, in a way, carried. This doesn't carry the weight that Argo carries because it is. It's let's face it, it's a bloody revenge western romance. It's it's a genre pastiche as opposed. To, Argo comes off as being a more important film, I think. Yeah, but this might but- be a better movie. I, I don't know, man. Argo, I really love Argo. It's great. I love that movie. So I love it's both great. these films so much. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, uh, we've got Cody Hunter writes, a spaghetti western German fairy tale, slavery drama. <laughs> what a concept of a film. Big props to Crazy Mind of Quentin Tarantino. And again, kind of done to me in a Greek mythology uh-huh. story pattern journey kind of way that just comes together in such a package, Cody. That is so gratifying to watch. And it's one of those magnetism movies that you just can't take your eyes off the screen. No. Like, it's it's one of those movies where even when you're watching it at home, you don't want to pause to go to the bathroom. You, you just don't want to break the experience. You the know what spell. I mean? Yeah, yeah you don't want to, that's right. the perfect way of putting it. You don't want to break the spell. And it does cast. I mean, it's also a beautifully shot film. Yes. It looks incredible. You know, it doesn't look grungy. It, it's it's beautiful. Everything in it's beautiful. All right. Next up, uh, Bama Ham Yum sends in like a $50 super chat. Thank you, Bama Ham, for supporting our channel wow. on that level, man. That's incredibly generous of you. Thanks, dude. Who writes, so glad that movie club. That, blah, let me try this again. So glad that movie club has become a weekly part uh, of the John Campy show. I have so much fun listening to these. DiCaprio is great in in this movie, but to me, Samuel Jackson Stephen steals the show as the most sinister villain. And here's the funny thing about it: when I was watching this again this week, because every time we do a movie club, I always rewatch that movie again. That yeah, week. yeah. When Samuel Jackson arrives, I pause the film. And brought up the the time bar. I might be off by a minute or two, but I believe it was one hour and thirty six minutes into the movie before Samuel Jackson finally shows up. Well past the halfway mark of the movie. And I find that funny because when you think about Django, it feels like Samuel Jackson just permeates all of it. Right. But in reality, he does not come into the movie until well into the story at all. And yet he just kind of stands. Why is that? What is it about this performance that just kind of makes you feel like he's in the whole damn thing? Because it's so, first of all, it's also the way he looks. You know, he does not look like the strong, like Jules Winfield in Pulp Fiction. He looks frail in a way. His character with the way the hair was, he looked old. They made him look old. The limp. Yeah, everything. They made him just look frail. And yet... He's not at all. And when you realize just the, 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 I mean, he is a bad, what made him this way that he would, he would be a part of Calvin Candy's empire. I mean, he's self-loathing and the hatred he feels, my God, he would rather hate Django and love Calvin Candy than stick up for his own people. I mean, I got to say too, he's an evil villain. There's, there's a really neat moment. There's a human moment with Steven when Schultz kills Calvin there's legitimate pain 
in Steven's face. That's oh, yeah. Samuel Jackson. But like he, and in that moment, you realize he loved him. He loved him. Big of an asshole as both of them are, he loved him. And and to give that little glimpse of humanity to that character as well, I, I thought was pretty interesting. Mm. All right. Let's keep going. Thanks again for that, Banaham Young. Appreciate that, dude. Next up, Michael Serta writes, It's cliche at this point, but Tarantino dialogue is so quotable. It absolutely is. I can't tell you how many times my friends had an idea and I respond with, Gentlemen, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. And by the way, that has got to be in the top five Twitter responses I usually see, like when I when I announce something on Twitter, or something that's big, whether it's a piece of news that I'm conveying from from another source or something myself. How many times people put in that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio saying, "You had my curiosity, and now you have my attention." Oh, it yeah. is one of the truly great lines, and it's the line delivery too. Yes, it's DiCaprio's performance of that line. Again, it's that marriage between that that triumphant marriage between writer to director to the performer on stage and this movie is a perfect marriage of of those three stages all right next up uh sam automatic writes uh look up the tyrese django audition very hilarious is that legit or is that like an snl script? i i do not know oh, okay well we'll use the line now sam you had my curiosity <laughs> now you, you have you my, my interest attention. <laughs> now now okay i'll have to look that up a little bit later thanks for putting that on my radar all right next up uh dnce wizard writes i uh, love this movie from the score to the cinematography to the set design however i still can't get over why schultz did what he did at the end and again a, a common 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 thing i've heard over the last 10 years but again to me rob when you revisit that whole sequence and the events leading up to the yeah. sequence and you see how troubled Schultz, who was always able to keep throughout the entire movie a perfect poker face all the time, sitting at that dinner table, he starts to break. And the, the flashes, these traumatic flashes of watching another human being being torn apart and ripped to pieces by dogs for nothing else other than begging for his life. Like, he doesn't want to fight. He can't. He's going to die if he fights again. And that's all he wanted was just to live, and he's torn apart. And you see it starting to break him. And then in that final moment, when Calvin insisted that he shake his hand, he broke. It's almost like a, a Joker break because he goes from like very serious with them to, of course, you know, whatever. It's like, that's the moment. That's the moment where the trauma finally overcame him. And he was just like, I'd rather die. And he, did, he wasn't thinking about Django. He wasn't thinking about Hildy. He was just, I think he'd rather die. So that's the way I always saw. I might be wrong. I mean, maybe someday if I get a chance to ask Quentin Tarantino about it, Maybe he'll tell me it's something else, but that's the way I kind of interpret it at any rate. All right, thanks for writing that in, man. All right, Mark Amorosi writes, Samuel Jackson's first scene in this movie cracks me up every time. Just the way, dude. He's standing on that porch and looking at them coming in. And not just that, but they establish him so well, the way he comes out, the way he talks to Calvin. Like, he even back talks to Calvin. So, what the hell? Like, just, it's... It's great, and I think that goes back, Rob, to what somebody was saying just a little bit earlier. I could have watched an entire, I can watch an entire spinoff movie of these two. Oh yeah, mm. you know, just arguing over the color of carpets they should put in the house. I, I just, I could listen to Samuel Jackson back talk to, to Leo DiCaprio's character all day. All right, uh, Cam Ivy writes, John, I just don't know what uh, what to pray is more, huh? I just don't know. What to pray 
is more the script, the performances, or the directing? Although I'm curious to know what your favorite moment from Christoph Waltz in the film. And we've been talking about that, Cam, right? Like, this whole movie is that perfect marriage of the script to the director to the to the uh, performer and the perfect synergy that happened. There's a terrible word, but that perfect synergy that happens when the stars align and there's an astral pr- conjunction happens and they just everything falls into place and it works together in such beautiful harmony. And when everybody understands what their part is to play i mean when you have actors and you always want actors to do this that they take what's on the page is beautifully written but when an actor makes that dialogue their own and puts their own cadence into it their own the way they smile when they talk you know yeah and the way they can do that you can't that's not something you can teach you can go to every acting class in the world some people will never learn how to do that and when you see this group of actors who are all incredible actors. Every time they open up their mouths, you're getting, every line is elevated. It was already great because Tarantino wrote it, but it's elevated to that, that whatever that thing is, John. You know what <laughs> I mean? By the way, he was asking what I think my favorite Christoph Waltz moment was. I think it's that scene where they kill the sheriff and call for the marshal. <laughs> and then he comes out and he's explaining it all to the marshal in my pocket. I am a duly authorized representative of the United States. That whole scene. And you just see the marshal like what? Like as this whole thing's being kind of laid out. I, I think for me that do you have a favorite moment from Christoph Waltz? You know, film? I can't think of any, any one moment, but I mean, the way he's, I, I, the thing about Christoph Waltz is the way he's able to play off of, the opposite of what's actually happening in the scene. Like, here's a dead guy and the marshal. Like, it could have gone another way, but Waltz is always in the middle of... It could have gone a a different way. Like, if he says the wrong thing in the wrong way, he could get shot and killed. And he plays that repeatedly. He does that in the movie. And I think that that way of his delivery in the midst of about to get gunned down at any one moment is great. All right, next up, we've got Maximus Prime, who writes... John, long-time viewer, first-time tipper. Thank you for both, Maximus. Appreciate that, man. Uh, Tarantino is by far my number one director. So glad you guys picked this one. You rock. Uh, bye, Miss Laura. Again, that, that was one of the most surprising moments to me when he decided, say goodbye to Miss Laura. What? Say goodbye to Miss Laura. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> then away she goes. Um, Tarantino's great. He's He is not in my top three or four all-time favorite directors. Um. Only the only reason that is because I love so many of his films. This Inglorious Bastards, Pulp, uh, Pulp Fiction. I mean, you have uh, Jackie Brown, uh, Reservoir Dogs. I mean, you go down the list, right? Kill Bill. I'm not a huge like. I thought Hateful Eight. Eh, I thought Hateful Eight was okay. I thought uh, Kill Bill Volume Two was was good. It was all right, but. The, the one thing that prevents Tarantino from being like in my top five favorite directors is that I feel like he's not incapable, but unwilling to play outside of his own sandbox. Mm. Like when you're watching a Quentin Tarantino movie, you know, within about two minutes, if it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, right? Because he makes movies kind of one style. Jackie Brown was the closest thing that he came. I I was going to mention that. I agree completely. Uh, you know, I totally agree with you because he's he's making movies that, that, that only take place in Quentin Tarantino land. 
Whereas Jackie Brown was like, he's taking a Elmore Leonard's book and directing a story as opposed to a Quentin Tarantino movie. And I mean, you, you know, I don't think he could make like a Merchant Ivory film. If he was called upon, I mean, he probably would make a good a good Merchant Ivory movie, but he'd have to put a Tarantino spin on it. If he was, say, tapped to direct Argo, I don't know that he would do a great job directing a, a historical, a movie that's actually about a historical event that he would be documenting. But you give him this sandbox to play in. His sandbox is uniquely his. And that's, I think for me, that's why he's not in my top tier of directors although i will say this there's no one that makes movies like him so he's kind of he's kind of in my mind he's in his own box yeah and by the way see i don't know that he can't make those other movies i just feel like he doesn't want to right i completely agree see that's why when when the word started coming out a couple years ago that we could get a star trek film directed by quentin tarantino part of the reason that excited me so much was not because we were going to get a Quentin Tarantino-styled Star Trek film, but I was excited to see Tarantino stretch his limitations a little bit, mm-hmm. to, see, to see what happens when he creatively gets outside of his comfort zone a little bit, right? Well, I was really curious to see He's that. directed episodes of television. Yeah? You know, like, I remember when he did Alias, you know, he did an episode of Alias and stuff, and he, he he's done, and he works within that paradigm quite well. All right, let's keep going here. Next up. Uh, we've got Cutter Hale who writes one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie is the best scene. Let me try this again. One of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies, period. The best scene in the movie is when they buy Hildy is masterful and gut wrenching. Leo is the man. The beer scene is great. Yeah. If you're talking about as there, it's kind of a collage, a montage of a scene in some way as the camera keeps going to different characters as Candy is sitting down, he's got Stephen over one shoulder, he's got his lawyer over the other, and he's very classy, in a very classy official, everything's above board kind of way, filling out the bill of sale, putting his stamp on it. But you understand this is a veneer, this is a facade because of the horrific moments that preceded it, with him threatening to bash in her head with a hammer, with with the, having guns put on them and threatening their lives and blah, blah, blah. And say, okay, okay, yeah, now we're all good, blah, blah, Yeah, that scene was powerful, man. It was really good. It was really, really good. All right, next up, Sebastian Gonzalez writes, favorite Tarantino movie to this day. Almost died when Django shot Laura in the side on the stairs and she flew straight back. Bad physics, but hilarious. I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that, Sebastian, because that was bad physics. Because he's standing here, She's standing here. He shoots her this way, but instead of falling that way, she just goes, yoink, <laughs> like she completely goes off to the side. Could happen. Like he curved the bullet or something like that. But you know what? You're right, Sebastian. The results were hilarious, so we'll let it slide because it was hilarious. All right, Cutter Hale also writes, uh, Django and Inglorious Bastards go back and forth for my favorite Tarantino movie. I watch both of these at least once a year. Sam Jackson is awesome. And I'm right there with you, Cutter. I, I mean, both of these movies are so good. And I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that both of them have Christoph Waltz. And, and you know what's funny? Christoph, whenever he's been in a Quentin Tarantino movie, he wins an Academy Award. When he's not he doesn't stand out as memorable. And I think there's something very special there about the, the, the work relationship 
and the chemistry and that creative flow between Quentin Tarantino and Christoph Waltz. I mean, I'm not saying Christoph Waltz isn't a great isn't a great actor without Quentin Tarantino. Obviously, he is. I'm just saying it's that real special level comes out when he's working with Tarantino. I don't know. What do you I think, think a that? lot of it has to do like I remember watching him in Big Eyes, Tim Burton's Big Eyes. Yes. And that he's the the dick husband, you know. That was and, Hugh McGregor in that, right? Was that was that Hugh McGregor in that with big with big eyes? That was Big Fish. That was. Oh, I'm sorry, Big Fish. You're right. Sorry, completely different thing. Yeah, uh, it was Big Eyes with with Amy Adams. Yep. Was the, so he, you know, it, it's almost like he wants to be a Quentin Tarantino character, but when he's given dialogue that isn't as good as Tarantino's dialogue, when he's saying it, we're almost like waiting for him to. To, to be like he is in Tarantino's movies, but he's not because he was playing a, a character based in real life. And it just, you're waiting for Christoph Waltz to become that guy, and he doesn't because he's playing a different kind of a role. And I don't think he is as effective as an actor, not all the time, but that just Big Eyes was the first thing that, that struck me. All right, next up, uh, we go back to Cody Hunt who writes, the scene in the library where they discuss D'Artagnan and Alexander Dumas reveals everything you need to know about Candy's character. That was great because <laughs> it's I, it's the one scene in the movie, I believe, where Christoph Waltz is giving straight dialogue with his back to the camera. And he starts talking about Alexander Dumas and he says, so you don't think Mr. Dumas would approve of what I did to D'Artagnan? Well, I, just, you know, I just think it's interesting that you took his lead character and blah, blah. And then the punchline comes. Alexander Dumas was black. There, like, there's just, and again, I think that was just more of his journey to breaking at, at that point as well. And Candy not like being made a fool of, which led to him insisting and shaking the hand, and that led to all the garbage that ensued when they were this close to getting out of that. But you're right. That whole conversation was great, Cody. All right. Sebastian Gonzalez writes, two perfect love-to-hate villains, Nazis and slavers. I mean, there you go. But like you were pointing out, Rob, in one, he is that villain. In the other, he's the opposition to the villain. And it was a great uh, dichotomy for him. Great. Uh, Cody Hunt writes, you want me to treat him like white folk? No. <laughs> so you want me to treat him like... That was Don Johnson's line. So you want to treat him like white folk? Big no. Like, that was a great moment. All right. The Jughead one writes, one or two. Hey, John and Rob, I love this content. Thank you so much, man. Uh, Django Unchained is my favorite Tarantino movie. I love the diatribe of Calvin Candy. It did not have the Stone Banks resonance. I'm not quite sure what he means by that. Stone. What is Stone Banks? People keep you. You told me what it was. Uh, it, it's something that I didn't know what it is. Maybe. And now I'm freezing out because I'm thinking it was almost like a character. I, I I can't remember what it was. But at any rate. Um, the thing about, uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is that it's again, the perfect marriage. Cause we talked about it in terms of, uh, Christoph Waltz. And we talked about it in terms of Samuel Jackson, that perfect synergy from the writer to the director, to the performer and it coming out perfectly. It's gotta be said as well as Leonardo DiCaprio's Calvin Candy. It's, what is being said married to how it's being said that made almost every moment and everything that he did so iconic, so memorable, such so quotable at the same time that, I mean, he just becomes one of those characters that you always think of. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, for me, when I think of the great Leonardo DiCaprio 
roles. And of course, he's won an Academy Award. He's been nominated for me. But I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I think this is the one that I think of. This is the movie that I think when I first think of Leonardo DiCaprio, I think of him in this role, which is weird because it's a supporting role. But he's so good in it. He's so good. I mean, I'm a huge DiCaprio fan. I mean, I love Wolf of Wall Street. I love The Aviator when he's playing Howard Hughes. Yes. I love The Departed. You know, I, Catch I love, Me If You Can. Oh, he's so good in Catch Me If You Can. He's a great actor. So good. But I think this is the movie that I think of. Um, anyway, uh, I didn't, can't find part two. So we'll, if we, their part two comes up a little bit later, we'll get to that. Dave uh, Romero writes, Saw this movie my senior year of high school, and it changed my life. It made me realize movies can be more than just entertainment. It helped me to find your show. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for that. Listen, like I don't, I don't believe movies are just entertainment. Like when, like you know, that when we talk about movies, I always say this: I don't call movies entertainment. Movies are experiential events. That's how I look at movies, and I personally kind of evaluate movies based on what kind. And how deep of an experience did the movie give me? Whether that experience is joy or sorrow or thought or horror or laughter or excitement or thrills or whatever, whatever experience is delivering, how well did it deliver that experience? You know what I mean? And when you're, it's an experiential event, experiential events can change you. Entertainment can't change you. I don't think entertainment can make you re-examine your life, but experiences do. And that's why I look at movies as experiential events because, like, when I see movies like the Mr. Rogers documentary, it makes me coming coming out of that movie going, I really need to re-examine myself. When I watch a movie like The Help, I come out and say, I gotta, I, I think there are questions we need to ask ourselves. When I come out of a movie like Django Unchained, the experience of laughter and fun is there in this movie, but there's also aspects to the experience that make you appreciate certain things and want to examine maybe yourself a little bit as well. And that's why I I completely relate with what you're saying here. When you say David, that it just made you, um, it helped, it helped you find my show. Yes. But it kind of changed your life. Movies can do that. Entertainment. I don't think can experiences can. And that's how I see, I don't know, Rob, I'd go a little further and say, for me, it's stories. You know, yeah. because I read a lot and, and the great, great movies, you know, they're, I think they're the most, to me, movies are the great art form of the 20th century because they were invented at the latter half of the 19th century, but they didn't really come into their own until the, they were, they were, they were all of our, all of our art forms mixed together with the added benefit of technology. And we never had stories told that way before. And when we could, Movies are the best, most immersive form of storytelling that there is. I love to read, but they're not as immersive as a great movie because you're looking at a page with words on it. But when you're watching a movie that you're completely engrossed by or a great TV series, like you said, you feel it. You know, you're moving through it. You're watching it happen. And if if it's something that's really, really, if it really is speaking to you on many different levels, it does become an event. You did go through an experience because it did put you on this emotional roller coaster and you felt something. And there's power in that. All right. Next up, we going over to Mega Movies, who writes, Quentin Tarantino is my favorite filmmaker of all time, and Dr. King Schultz is the greatest Tarantino character. That's a 
That's a big claim. That's that's a big one. Because yeah. you go through all the characters in Tarantino, there's a lot of iconic characters. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. By the way, again, I think that line that he says after he kills Calvin kind of also again points towards the fact that he had just snapped. Because that's not the same logical, rational thing to say after you just killed the man. Right? Sorry, couldn't resist. Like that's that's the line of a guy who broke. You know what I mean? And was was no longer kind of operating with his own capacity of that. So that's what I think, Megan. But big claim there, dude, thinking that he's the best Tarantino character. I mean, even if you compare him against the other Christoph Waltz Tarantino character with the Jew Hunter. I mean, it's, that's an incredible character as well. All right. The man with the master plan writes, finally. I can send in a live chat to support my daily show. Well, thank you for that, man. Uh, the cast is perfect, and my favorite scene is Waltz and Fox uh, tricking Big Daddy and his group. I mean, that was great. It was great. Because I didn't know what was happening at first. Because the camera zooms in, like they leave the, the, the plantation. And then all of a sudden it's night, and the camera zoomed in on the little tooth thing on top of his cart. And just him opening up, pulling out money, and putting something in. I didn't realize what was happening. And then you realize it was explosives. And that that whole thing was so good. It was great. And well, sure. But it did raise the question for me. It's like, if he was just going to ride out and kill them later anyway, why didn't he just have them killed right there on the spot on his property? Like, I, I maybe it's because it has to be carried out when they're all got their bags on. I mean, I don't know. But that is one question that I asked myself. All right. Next up, Mega Movies writes. He didn't uh, want any innocent people to get killed? Maybe. Hard to believe. Hardly he cared about innocent people. Mega Movies writes, damn, this movie turns 10 years old. That's crazy. Man, listen, I still remember me and Dennis Zen in San Diego at Comic-Con walking down the street by Petco Park. And there's a parking lot right there that studios also set up big exhibits at. And they had a big Django Unchained thing because Django was coming out that year. And I still remember them like, man, that was 10 years ago. That's crazy to me. I cannot believe that this movie's turned in 10. Anyway, Cutter Hale writes, I count six shots, blank. Two, I count two guns, blank. My favorite line is in hands down, uh, who did, let me, my, but my favorite line is hands down, who, down who did, guy, let me try this one more time. But my favorite line is hands down, who did guy on that, uh, who did guy i'm not even sure which which line we're talking about yeah, I'm, i I'm, I'm not clear on it myself but i'm sure you know what you're talking about cutter all right sebastian gonzalez writes a dope blend of tones and just flew by at two hours and 45 minutes i will tell you this i think this is the shortest two hour and 45 minute movie i've ever seen <laughs> I, I really and, and I'm not talking that because it's good. You know, even a really great movie can feel too long. It's the pacing of it. Like it just and the fact that we go through three different stages of getting to that where he shoots the sheriff, then the whole segment with Don Johnson, and then moving on to Calvin Candy. Like it's just moving and you feel like these big plateaus are hit, and then you're on to the next thing. And so you're right. All of a sudden you look down and I check the clock when Samuel Jackson finally shows up. It's like Oh my God, we're already over an hour and a half into this movie, and I never felt it. Like seriously, Rob, do you know what I mean when I say it feels uh, like no? The I know first exactly what you mean. I mean, uh, yes, and I agree with you. But I feel that way about a lot of his films. I mean, Inglorious Bastards is a long movie too, but like you're completely engrossed. I think the opening scene, for instance, of Inglorious Bastards, which at one point is just two guys talking. 
Uh, and that scene lasts a long time, but yet you can't take your eyes off it. Yep, absolutely. All right. Oh, now we come across the Jughead one second part of that. Um, your rant last week against uh, that AMC fool last week, it was great. Uh, by the way, I am not comparing you to that vile candy, John. Love and respect uh, you both from the UK bros. I don't know why I would think you were comparing me to Ca Calvin Candy. Oh, probably because the rant. Right. The rant I went on. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's few people I... I'm not going to say anything at this point. We're going to just talk about our love. But thank you so much for that, Jughead, man. We both, Rob and I, appreciate that very much. And thanks for writing in from the UK, man. Appreciate Always good that. to hear from you. Always good to hear from you. All right. Next up, we got Diego who writes, I can never contain my laughter when Django shoots Miss Lara and she flies out of the foyer. Again, it's just the, it's the velocity in which her body, like, flies out of the room at the wrong angle, granted, but she just literally flies out of the room and again part of the reason i laughed so hard is because it caught me by surprise because i honestly didn't yeah. think he was gonna kill her i was gonna let her walk <laughs> no, out yeah nope they all gonna die all right uh next up dominic suma writes in my opinion dango has the goat director the goat director cameo here um oh if you're talking about like cameos of directors putting themselves in their movie this is a good one it's a really good one. Him putting himself in there is that I'm doing that Aussie accent, and I it just, man, it's funny. I'm trying to think of another one that might have been better. I mean, I really like Peter Jackson's as one of the uh, ship warriors, the boats pulling up <laughs> yeah. in Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, but he didn't have any dialogue there, really. Um, I'm trying to think of another one. What's another really well, good I like, one? You know, I like uh, Sidney Pollock and Tootsie. But it's not really a cameo. Yeah, He's actually a character. I feel like it was really a role. It's a role, but I do love it. Yeah, that was a good one. Too. No one will hire you. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, we're into the final couple of ones here, guys. We got Michael Serta who writes, uh, sorry if this is a dumb question, but is the name Django the equivalent uh, to John Doe, but for specifically Westerns? Much love. I don't. I, I mean, think I could. So? You know what? I, I don't. I know what he's getting at because there's been a lot of Django movies. They've done a whole series, but they're all like different kinds of movies. I mean, they're all different actors playing Django. You know, there's one real Django, but I could see him thinking that. Yeah, I, I guess, but I never thought about. It. I've never, I've never heard thought, that I don't, before I don't either. Because so, I think Django is kind of a interesting name. Yeah, it's just a really cool name. Yeah, and a, a good reason to say. Whereas that he is John Doe or John Smith is such a banal, ordinary name. Right. All right. Uh, next, Philly G just sends in a super chat to be supportive. Appreciate that, Philly G. And that James one at the top is actually one that got sent in earlier today. So that's oh. that's that's actually not something we sent in for this. So guys, Rob, that wraps it up. That wraps up our movie club discussing Django Unchained. Rob, final thoughts uh, on the movie. Well, again, John, I mean, as far as revisionist westerns go, uh, this is about the best it gets. I mean, this movie has everything. It's wildly entertaining. It has incredible performances. It's beautifully made. It has a killer soundtrack. It's so much fun. And again, I really wish we saw Jamie Foxx come back in this role again, whether it was with Antonio Banderas or whether it was just another Django movie. I'd love to have seen it. I want to know where Django's at now. Where'd he go? Yep. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people do. By the way, you can still pick up. You can go and find, hop on eBay, find that Django Zorro comic book. They did put it out in comic book form, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. So you guys can go and check that out. But uh, Rob, thanks for being here, man, and joining me again for Movie Club. Where can people follow you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And uh, you guys can follow me on uh, social media at Instagram and on Twitter, simply at John Campia. All right, guys, we let's talk about next week's movie club. Okay. I'm having second thoughts. I, I don't know. We had lined up what we were going to do, and my our marketing guy loves it, like totally loves it, thinks we should be doing it, but I'm not really sure. So I'll tell you what, give me till tomorrow. Tune on the John Campus Show tomorrow. We'll announce what next week's movie is because we had it lined up, but now I'm not so sure. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, but anyway, guys, that'll do it for us for now for this installment of Movie Club. By the way, guys, want to remind you that there is a podcast feed for movie club so you don't have to follow if you want to catch up on movie club or revisit this again you don't have to watch it on a youtube channel just go on your favorite podcasting app of choice and search for movie club a john campus show podcast and you can subscribe to the movie plug movie plug the movie club podcast feed right there and it'll be there anytime you want to listen to it so away you go with that all right guys that'll do it for us for now thanks a lot for being here my name's john campia and until next time my friends bye-bye Oh, 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 you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.